0: Well, thank you again for being here with us this morning. As I mentioned, uh, for if you're new with us this morning, my name is Pastor Brandon. Um, Lead Pastor Barden and his family um, are away on a, a family wedding, so I have the, the pleasure to share with you again this morning. I'm excited to do that. For some of you who maybe have started coming recently, you probably haven't seen me yet. Well, I'm, I'm generally Sundays in with our kiddos. Um, again, just the honor of of discipling our kids and youth here at Living Word, I, I absolutely love, I love that um, as, as a. It's just it's a it gives me a lot of joy. I've got um, some students coming up who've made the decision to to be baptized again. A very yes, exactly. Thank you. Very excited about that. Um, to see students making these decisions on their own, um, to take that next step. Um, If you're if you're with us this morning, and and maybe that's a step that you haven't taken, we want to encourage you to do that. We see a biblical precedence of those um, who, after they made a decision to follow Christ, then decide to be baptized in water. So it's it's the practice that we follow at Living Word. I know some traditions um, do that differently, Um, then that's okay. But we want to encourage you of that next step in your faith. Maybe if that's something that you haven't done, we want to encourage you to do that. So again, as with everything, that sign up is online. Um, I believe baptism is happening Sunday the 18th, November the 18th. So about a month, month happening here. So we're excited about that as well. So if you've been with us, um, pastor's been sharing from the the letters um, John wrote that we know to the seven churches of revelation. Um, He wrote to what we know as the seven churches of revelation, excuse me. Uh, remember, John was writing as an exile, right? He was a criminal exile um, sent to the island of Patmos, sent to the island of Patmos, where he receives this um, word from the Lord while he's in exile there. Now, two of the seven churches that John writes to, um, Jesus actually encouraged for doing good, for doing the right thing, two of the seven. Now, to the other five churches, though, the Lord had a strong rebuke for them, right? And that's what we've been working through in this current series, Wake Up Call. Next week, Pastor's going to end the series talking about the church um, of Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia was one of the two churches that, that the Lord praised. He had no rebuke for these two, uh, for Philadelphia Philadelphia. And, and Smyrna. And so I'm not going to go into much depth this morning about Philadelphia other than just to give you a little bit of an overview uh, for our message this morning. Uh, but how many of you know that the Word of God is a lamp that lights our path, right? It's a light for us that it gives clear direction, right, on, on where we should go. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us the scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we will be equipped. It's a, it's a tool that we have to rely on as believers. So, so what if this morning then we looked at John's letters to the seven churches as just that? As a tool to teach us, to correct us, to rebuke us even, and to train us in the things of the Lord. With that in mind, here's what I'd like to do. I want to look together at the common threads in the letter to the five churches that God rebuked, that he corrected. How do we guard our hearts then against these things that he talked to these churches about? How do we guard our church family against the things that the Lord held against these churches? And then we'll take a look at the common threads between the churches that God praised and humility. How do we make sure the heart of living word is centered on the things that the Lord praised these churches about, that he commended them for? So have your Bibles ready this morning, uh, whether on your smartphones or if you've got the hard copy itself. Uh, We're going to be looking through um, Revelation together this morning. I apologize we don't have these on screens this morning, um, but uh, we will start in Revelation chapter 3 if you want to go ahead and turn there. So let's start then looking at the three common threads through the letters to the five churches that God corrected, okay? So, number one, three common threads. The first one would be hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. I believe you have notes in your bulletin as well if you'd like to to follow along there. We see especially this theme with the church of Laodicea. And Sardis, that, that there was this correction, common correction from the Lord that pointed out this ingrained hypocrisy in those churches. Let me, let me explain what I mean. Uh, read with me here, Revelation 3, 1, chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church and Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, I know pastors talked a little probably about the symbolism that's in the book of Revelation, okay? A lot of imagery, a lot of symbolism. It's probably, many would agree, one of the most challenging books of the Bible to understand. So if you have questions about any time what the symbolism is, um, it's a good subject to kind of study to go to go in on. Um, and I know pastor, again, has talked a little bit about that. As he also mentioned, the church of Sardis, if you remember, was in a wealthy area, it was known for its extravagant bathhouses of of biblical times and and as a place where actually modern currency was was perfected um it, there was a new process um first done in Sardis of refining gold so they were very well known for the super refined and pure gold currency Okay, so we we can suppose because of that, right, that they were financially um, well off. They weren't in need. They were the mint, right? They were the mint. But regardless, what's interesting here is that they were spiritually bankrupt. The word there for dead in the original Greek that we see in that verse was the same word used for corpse, for corpse. The church had then given an impression of life and success, yet Jesus saw their hearts, their intentions, their deeds, and diagnosed them as like a corpse. Likewise, the church in, in Laodicea was known commonly as the what? What church? The lukewarm church, right? They were lukewarm. We learned from the message last week that the major rebuke that Jesus had for this church was very similar to Sardis. They pronounced their wealth, their lack of need, yet Jesus called them wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So for Sardis and Laodicea, their outward display of financial prowess didn't match the content of their hearts. And so the message of Christ they preached to the world around them was just that. It was a show, a display. It was hypocritical. If you talk today to to unchurched or, or de-churched people, what we like to say, we kind of have been using that phrase in the church world lately, de-churched, it's people that have grown maybe grown up in the church and then have walked away for whatever reason we would call them de-churched they're not necessarily unchurched they have a history with the church but for whatever reason they've they've walked away they've not stayed tied into to to biblical community so if you talk to unchurched or even de-churched people today one of the common things you might hear them say about why they don't attend church is what Hypocrisy, right? It's, it's, it's now, I believe that word can kind of be thrown around without some reason sometimes. However, I think there may be a root of truth sometimes. People are looking for authentic and sincere community. And in my experience, I've, I've seen how quickly people pick up on the fake. Have you seen that? People just pick up on it. There's something about televangelist. That just turns something immediately, right? Unfortunately, some can be led that way. Now, I'm not talking about, <laughs> I'm not talking about everyone, okay? But there's something about many things like that that people pick up on, right? As insincere. And I think people see that. So, for living word today, how can we keep our hearts from hypocrisy, specifically in the area that Jesus addressed? As it relates to financial means, that's kind of the main area that he was referring or that we see this idea of hypocrisy. So with that question in mind, I believe that when we remain extravagantly generous, extravagantly generous, we disallow money from taking root in an unhealthy place in our lives. When we give regularly to the work of the kingdom, the first and best of our finances, God is honored. And we continually give up any control that money may have over us. I notice there weren't a lot of amens really after that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So after handing me a check um, recently for a couple of youth sponsorships, by the way, a friend recently said this. It's God's checkbook. He just lets me sign the checks. It's God's checkbook. He just lets me sign the checks. That, that had an impact. This was after handing me a couple of sponsorships, by the way, for youth to attend retreat. That had a big impact on me. That is a heart right there that's living generously. You see, I think our generosity actually helps keep us from this area of hypocrisy because our actions then line up with Scripture and our own stated values. Let's avoid the pitfalls of the churches of Sardis and Laodicea and remain extravagantly generous. The second common thread of rebuke for these churches was loss of mission. Excuse me, loss of mission. And I, again, I know Pastor referenced this a little bit the last couple of weeks, but, but Jesus had also rebuked multiple churches okay, for, for behaviors that had moved them away from their original mission and purpose. To the church at Ephesus, Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 4. Look there with me, chapter 2, verse 4. Yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. And again to the church in Sardis, in chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Both the churches in Ephesus and Sardis had apparently forgotten the mission they had been called to. Of course, as the church we believe, is the Great Commission. Scattered across this nation, though, and even our own city and area, are churches that unfortunately have forgotten what their mission is. And they've had to shut their doors because they stopped reaching people with the Christ. Now, this, they stopped reaching people with the gospel. Now, this is no, this is no judgment. This is no criticism here on, on any place specifically. We, we, it, kingdom work is kingdom work, whether it's here or there, wherever it is. But instead of loving Christ and each other passionately, um, Ephesus was more concerned with hammering the truth in people's lives. Now, listen to me here. I want to talk about this un- uncomfortable balance a little bit. This this balance is, incredible, challenge, is incredibly challenging. I get it. Notice Jesus in this section actually praised their efforts in standing up for the truth. And then in chapter 2, 2 says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. Then down in verse 6 again, but, I, but you have this in your favor, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Remember from pastor's message on the church in Ephesus that the Nicolaitans were a heretical sect of the church that had worked out a compromise with local pagans. So Jesus is first praising their stand for the truth while then rebuking their lack of love for people. This is an important balance that we should continue looking for personally and corporately. Amen? If we we feel a sense of passion for the truth and love to spout it on social media, but then struggle with reaching out to those around us in need, we may be out of balance. We went to a conference lately, and, and one of the things the speaker's said that stuck out with me that said is out of from the overflow of the heart the fingers tweet from the overflow of the heart the fingers tweet isn't that true though think about that for a minute what we're putting on social media is directly impact is directly from an overflow of our heart so if we're putting out things on social media that don't line up with the heart of the gospel man would we check ourselves there would we check ourselves there Again, that's for no one specific this morning. <laughs> if, please, please. So, um, on the flip side of that, on the flip side of that, if we if we love people passionately, but never get to the point of sharing God's truth in their lives, we may also be out of balance. Pastor and author Tim Keller said simply, truth without love really isn't truth. Love without truth really isn't love. They have to be together. The irony of the gospel is that we can and should do both. There is no disharmony in loving people deeply and and speaking truth unabashedly. Amen? There's no disharmony there. Like Sardis and Ephesus, what we have to continually keep in front of us is this tendency to lose sight of our mission. In our four core values, Pastor covered again last week. This fleshes out in our dedication as a church to stay both biblically based and community focused. By putting on outreaches like our Trunk or Treat and, and our Harvest Feast and, and, and Angel Tree and VBS and things like this that we do throughout the year, uh, we continue to, as a church to do tangible things just, just to show families and our community that we, that we love them. Pray with us on that note, if you would, this Saturday, um, that our volunteers and that our families here would be focused on the purpose uh, of the event, to reach families with a love and hope of Christ. That's our stated mission. Because we believe, church, that through Christ, families can be healed. We believe that marriages can be restored. We believe that people struggling with addictions can be set free. Our community, our state, our nation is looking for this hope, and they won't find it anywhere else. Amen? The real hope that can save us, the only real hope is found in Christ. And so we do these, we do these outreaches all with this, with, with this prayer that, Lord, save people that need your hope. Let me break this down a little further for you. Another aspect of this point is found in relationship. The people close to you and I will often see and recognize the truth in us, right? Because to the lost person, truth spoken to them without relationship is often heard as what? Heard as judgment, right? With no relationship, okay, truth spoken, shouted at them, is often heard as judgment. Let me explain. The guy on the street corner holding signs or or yelling from a bullhorn, proclaiming to the city, you're a sinner, repent or face hell. Okay, is his message necessarily wrong? (laughs) Not necessarily, but, but is anyone coming to know Christ because of his tactics? Probably not. Because there's no what? There's no relationship. There's no relationship. You, you, you almost have to gain that respect to speak into someone's life, right? There's no personal connection there. Now, I'm not putting God in a box. God can, can reach people how he sees fit. But I believe often these kind of tactics without a relationship end up doing more harm to people who are outside of relationship with Christ. The flip side of that is that you and I have a tremendous opportunity with those we already have relationship with to introduce them to the truth that can save them. Those around us who know us and see that we care will be more open to the truth. And then you and I have an opportunity and responsibility um, to share the love of Christ or to simply invite that person to church. I'm going to take a a second here to brag on somebody who I heard of this past week that did just that. She didn't know I was doing this this morning, so I apologize. Um, Cheryl Berardini works at a, a local business here had customers come in, um, randomly and started a conversation. And, and I, I, I'm told it had something to do with grape Kool-Aid. I don't know. Um, grape Kool-Aid. And somehow, I don't even know how this happened exactly. That It led to these, these, this couple asking what church Cheryl attended. She talked about living word. She invited them to the church. Guess who showed up the next Sunday to to living word. Okay. Great job. Hey, they're back there. <laughs> Raising his hand. Guys, yeah, yes, yes. We're so glad you guys are here. We're so glad you guys are here, by the way. Grape Kool-Aid. Who, who, who knew? <laughs> right? But that's how simple it is, people. That's how simple it is. You, you, relationship is where people will find hope. Okay? Whew, I'm getting goosebumps. Sorry. I got I to gotta keep moving. I got to keep moving. Third common rebuke that Jesus had for the churches of revelation was this perversion perversion multiple churches of the five that Jesus rebuked had perverted both the truth of the Word of God in addition to god 's healthy plants excuse me in addition to god 's plan for healthy sexuality, in regards to the perversion of the truth, it was incredibly important for the infant church at that time. Commentary, let me explain, from, from the NIV study bible said this. The necessity of testing for correct doctrine and dependable advice was widely recognized in the early church. Widely recognized. The the church was still in the beginning. It was still in its infancy. And, and so in many ways it was still growing in what it looked like to be the church and to make sure its practices lined up with Scripture. Some some did this well at that time, but we're we're reading through these seven churches um, in Revelation that many of them did not. Many of them did not. The church in Pergamum was the first Jesus called out because of this. Look with me in Revelation two fourteen at how the church had perverted the truth. John wrote this, and and remember in our, in our Bibles these are red words, meaning these were actually the words of Jesus to these churches. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Guys, the church in Pergamon was inundated by perversions of the truth. They were inundated. It was everywhere. Reading back in the book of Numbers, um, this reference to Balaam, we see why Jesus mentions his name um, in connection with the church of Pergamum. He, uh, uh, Balaam had advised Midianite women okay, on how to lead the Israelites astray from the covenant they had made with God. Balaam was, was training these women how to do that. He was an Old Testament poster child for leading God's people off the path of righteousness. Besides Balaam, they had also grasped onto the teachings of the Nicolaitans, who wrongly taught that because of their spiritual liberty in Christ, they were free to indulge in whatever idolatry or immorality their heart desired. So there was this heretical sect of, of, of the church. They called them the Nicolaitans who kind of just did whatever they wanted to do because they had freedom, right? They had the spiritual liberty. They were perverting the truth of the gospel. And, and, and Jesus is calling them out because of it. We see this connection with the Nicolaitans and Jesus' warning to the church in Thyatira as well. Reading with me now in chapter 2, Verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate this woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now this name Jezebel, it's kind of a, even a, it's a recognized name, even culturally used in some, you know, secular references um, even, it, but it's used here in scripture um, as an epithet to describe a woman who must have had prominent status in the church. And she was using that status to lead people into bad doctrine. The name Jezebel is synonymous in scripture with this idea of seducing the people of God, not only into immorality, but away from God's plan. And that's exactly what had happened to the church. Because of this mystery woman's influence, we don't know who this specific woman was. They were being led into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now, this was simply a sign okay, of the church's continual compromise away from the truth. Both churches had gotten so off-base doctrinally, they had allowed these gross perversions to run rampant in their body, in their church body. So how does living word protect itself against this common danger? How do we protect ourselves from this bad doctrine, this this immoral, um, the perversions of the truth? How do we continue to to, um, protect ourselves against that? As you know, if you've been alive for the last 10 years, you've probably recognized that the ways to pervert the truth are endless. Yeah. They, I mean, it's, it's never ending. Okay. There are churches in existence today that believe all sorts of all sorts of wacky things, guys, all sorts of craziness, I don't. I don't even want to go into it this morning, okay? Because uh, fearful that someone may catch something like, "Yeah, we should do that. You know, let's let's hold snakes next week, okay? Um, the, you guys know that's a thing, right? <laughs> okay. Um, but but you know, you know, that this is nothing new. These, these, these ideas, this, these perversions of the truth, as we're reading in Revelation, these, these concepts are nothing new. That's why we've got to stay grounded, church, in the truth of the Word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We've got to stay there as a church. It's important then, further, that we know what we believe. It's important that we know what we believe. While doctrine may not necessarily be a common topic around the lunchroom at work, anybody talking doctrine at, church, at break time? <laughs> it's fine if you are. That's, that'd be great. But let me ask you: If a friend were to ask you what it took to have a relationship with Jesus, could you explain the concept of salvation? How about how about forgiveness? What about sanctification? What if a family member asks you what the Bible says about a hot button social issue? How do you respond in both truth and love? It, that's a challenge, right? I hear you on that. That is hard. That is hard. I worked in a factory um, right out of college. Um, and here I was, this pastor's kid myself. Um, I'm not going to say I was sheltered, but I, but I was, I was um, brought up in the church. I, I knew I, I, and I thought I knew my stuff, right, and I go into the factory world and i I get it now okay it 's a completely different world um, and I was consistently and, and in secular workplaces after that consistently challenged about my faith. I was consistently not it wasn 't all like it wasn 't all fist fights about but but, but people genu- genuinely were were interested sometimes. And sometimes I stood there not knowing what to say. Um, so I, I, I say that this morning just to challenge you. Um, it's okay, for one, if you don't know what to say. Do you know that's okay? The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit in those times can actually speak for us. Did you know that? It, says, it tells us that the Holy Spirit will speak through us um, in, those, in those circumstances. So don't be afraid to have those conversations. I want to challenge you of that. But on the, on the flip side of that, important that we know what we believe so when those challenges, when those questions come, that we would be able to verbalize what the Word of God says. Now, let me, let me also mention none of the things that we just talked about is an excuse to build barriers between people, right? It's this uncomfortable balance that we're talking about this morning, truth and love a little bit. Sometimes the best answer to those challenges is, you know what? Let me take you out for coffee. Let me take you out for coffee. Let's talk about it. And, and, and you know what I mean? Instead of creating this um, embattled um, argument about faith, um, I've, I've sometimes, when I could see that conversations were going that way, I, I lovingly did my best to just, to just shut it down. Sometimes, you know, you just get the sense this is going nowhere good fast, right? It's time for this, it's time for this to end. I love you, but let's move on. Sometimes that that can be the best answer. But other times, as as we referenced, as 1 Peter 3.15 encourages us, we should be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Notice this next section that says, but do this with what? With gentleness and respect. But do this with gentleness and respect. It's unlikely that you and I will ever change hearts by shouting doctrine at anyone but with gentleness and respect, we can hold to the truth. So we need to follow the, the guidance of scripture and also make, um, as, as leaders, as leaders in ministry, volunteers, that would be all of us accountable to others. Accountability, that's a tough one, but it's important. Uh, as leaders, as, as staff of Living Word, um, our, our board of elders exist, among other reasons, to help keep accountability in place. We are also accountable to the larger fellowship to which we're a part of the assemblies of God. Being a part of a fellowship that provides this this covering of of sound doctrine. As a church, then our commitment to stay biblically based does just that. It keeps these unbiblical practices out of the walls of God's house. So now moving from, from the rebukes, let's get on to what the, some of the praise that Jesus had for these churches. It's interesting to note, as I, as I kind of referenced earlier, that for for two of the churches, Sardis and Laodicea, Jesus has no praise at all, only rebuke, right? But for two other churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, he had only praise for and no rebuke. For the rest, he had a little bit of both. So now let's look at some of the common threads in these churches and others. Number one, the first common thread of praise Jesus had Perseverance and persistence in persecution. Perseverance and persistence in persecution. At the time that John wrote this letter, many churches around the world were facing severe persecution for their faith. The church in those days lived under the constant threat of harm from those upset they were now following Christ. Most scholars believe, actually, that the Revelation was written around 95 AD. 95 AD. Historically speaking, if you look at what was kind of going on in the world at that time... Um, we, We know that it was following the reign of Emperor Nero. How many know about Emperor Nero? He was this crazy, insane emperor that some historians actually blame for this great Roman fire that happened in 64 AD. Nero was thought to have started this fire intentionally so that he could what? So that he could blame the Christians of that time for this fire. After the fire then, the first government-sanctioned persecution of Christians began. It was government-sanctioned. There there were laws and edicts passed legalizing the persecution, the physical torture of believers of this time. It started an unprecedented, unprecedented time of imprisonment and often death for these early believers well-known Roman historian Tacitus wrote that the evil Nero would often light Roman roads with the burning bodies of Christians. The city of Jerusalem was also destroyed during this time, along with the temple there in 70 AD, around 70 AD. Persecution continued after Nero's rule under Emperor Domitian and subsequent subsequent rulers, with Christians often being thrown to the lions in the Colosseum during the gladiator games. Emperors also began, as I mentioned, issuing a series of edicts, rescinding Christians' legal rights and demanding that they comply with traditional religious practices. And when they refused, because what they were being asked to do was uh, exactly against the word of God, when they refused, they were imprisoned, tortured, and often executed as punishment for not obeying these laws. This was the level of evil that the church of that time was facing. The degree of hardship continued for hundreds of years until Roman Emperor Constantine actually legalized Christianity in the empire around 324 AD. Yet throughout history, even after and continuing today, a large percentage of the church around the world lives under this constant threat of persecution for their faith. All you need to do is pick up a a copy of Fox Books, uh, Fox Book of the Martyrs, or the uh, more recent book, um, Jesus Freaks, to know, uh, to read some of these stories written about so many throughout history who have faced um, persecution and not given up the name of Christ for temporary comfort, for temporary comfort. I know a pastor showed a video a couple weeks ago, right, when you talked about Smyrna and this woman from North Korea who faced this severe persecution. Just last week at my, um, I'm taking credentialing classes with the district. And and just last week at our class in Syracuse, I met a pastor who was a refugee from the Congo, a refugee from the Congo. We sat and kind of through his broken English and we talked um, about just life and what ministry looked like for him. And he talked about his Um, His family. I asked if he was married. He said yes, and he began to cry um, as he told me um, how his first wife had been killed by the rebels in Congo before they had escaped. He was somehow able to escape uh, with his life um, to New York, Um, but I could just see just see the pain and anguish on his face. But then, but then he began to smile. Then he began to smile, and he told me about his church in Syracuse told me about his church in Syracuse, he's also getting credentialed. credentialed. And uh, his church in Syracuse is is renting a space uh, from another church. Uh, I don't know if they're, you know, I think or believe the church is letting them use their space after their service. Okay. So it'd be like us getting out of church and then another church coming and using our space. Right. So there's, there's a church of about 200 refugees around that meets in Syracuse from all over the world. Can you imagine Praise God for what this man is doing um, to reach people that need hope and need the gospel. Many of them coming from nations like we're speaking about where it's, it's illegal to live as a follower of Christ. But this church in Syracuse is growing. They're almost—they've almost grown out of this space that they're renting. Praise God! Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? His name was Emmanuel. If you want to think to remember Emmanuel in prayer, just pray for him. This pastor who's um, getting credentialed as well with the Assemblies of God, and just excited about how he's reaching a specific niche of people um, who need some hope. This pain, though, it's hard for us to imagine, right? It's hard for the church in the West to to really grasp this concept. But maybe we're missing something, something that Jesus actually praises many of the seven churches for. They had persevered when things were difficult, they had kept the faith even as many were killed. Read with me in Revelation 2.13, Jesus in his words to the church in Pergamum he said this, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. J- Jesus is, is kind of saying there, look, evil is there. He's saying Satan's throne is there. People are being killed. My servant my servant Antipas was put to death, yet you remain. He's, he, Jesus is praising them for the way that they've persevered through persecution. Antipas, by the way, was an early Christian martyr, tortured and killed for his faith in the time of Emperor Domish, Domitian, who I mentioned. Tradition states Antipas was boiled to death in a large cauldron. You remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. This is surely, church, something that we once said of us. You remain true to my name. To the church in Ephesus, Jesus said in Revelation 2, 3, You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Weary. And to the church in Philadelphia, Jesus said in Revelation 3.8, I know that you have little strength, yet you kept my word and have not denied my name. How do you and I, the church in the West, with most of our freedom still intact, embrace this idea of suffering for Christ? I'll give you a couple ways, at least tangi- tangibly, that we try to do that. We pray for the persecuted church around the world. We pray for the persecuted church around the world. I know that our prayer team that meets on Tuesdays, that's often a topic uh, as we support um, many missionaries as well who are in very, very dangerous places around the world. Um, On that note, we we also support through missions giving um, organizations that support persecuted believers and we remain faithful and we remain ready to face real persecution should it come to us. We pray for the Father to build up our faiths, to be resilient, and to remain true to his name no matter what. And as a church, we remain committed to these ends. Again, as Pastor mentioned last week, one of our core values being that we are missions-minded. Tangibly, that means we intentionally give our time, energy, and resources to missionaries overseas to some um, in these persecuted areas. Many of our missionaries, guys, we can't even publicly talk about, okay, where they're, where they're ministering, right? We can't publicly, we've got to be very careful what we're putting on social media in reference to some of these, these missionaries. They are in, they're in those types of places. But don't the people there in those places need the gospel? Amen? There are lost people there that need the gospel. And someone, someone has to take that message to them. So we support missionaries to that end. So, so, um, secondly here, secondly here, the the common thread, okay, for the churches that Jesus praised was our love for the truth, was our love for the truth. It was another common praise that Jesus had for the seven churches, in opposition to the churches that had perverted the truth, Jesus also praised some of the, the churches that had held fast to the truth. To Ephesus in Revelation two two, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. And to the church in Thyatira, although Jesus had just rebuked many who had given over truth to this Jezebel, he says to those who are not in Revelation 2.24, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, says in parentheses, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over to the nations. As, as the worship team comes to close us here, there's this promise made right here. This promise made by Jesus to those that hold fast to the truth. Basically, this reward of sorts awaits for those who finish the race well. I've told this story before, I, I, so I apologize if it just sounds repetitive, but it's something that has made a huge impact on my life, and, I, and I hopefully, hopefully through his story, I'll begin to I'll, and encourage others. My, my grandfather died of cancer of the bladder back in 2008, right before my first child was born. Um maybe end of 2007, Um, but he was lying on his hospital bed with his family gathered around him, all of us realizing that he was in his last days, he was getting ready to be sent home to hospice, and he lays in his bed and looks at his family surrounded there with him, praying with him, and he just utters the words, God is good, God is good. And it broke broke many of our family. Of course, we've learned this lesson later, you know. But at that time, you're thinking, how can you say that laying there with your body riddled with cancer on your deathbed? And, of course, what he got, what my grandpa got, was that regardless of, of, of the pain, regardless of all of that, it was important that he finished the race well, that he held to the end to the truth of the word, As believers, we can have hope that a persistence to the end, that a love for the truth of the word of God will will keep us to the end. And Jesus promises there, as I said, this reward of sorts for that. To the church in Philadelphia, again in chapter 3, verse 8, you have kept my word and not denied my name. The importance of holding fast to the truth remains, and Jesus has consistent praise for those in the churches who have done just that. A lesser-known hymn opened with these words on the subject of perseverance. Hold fast to the Savior. He loves you still. Hold fast to the promise He will fulfill. Hold fast, ever trusting you shall receive. Hold fast, do not waver. His word, believe. There's a lot for us to learn from the seven churches. I hope this morning I've helped us each to see something in our hearts that may need to shift. These churches who were began by the disciples and their disciples had, had started with a common, common love for Jesus had become hypocritical. They had lost sight of their mission and they had lost sight of the importance of the truth. Ultimately, because of that, the Lord himself rebuked them. Hopefully, these churches changed their, changed their ways because of that after receiving this letter from John, although we're not sure exactly um, how or when that may have happened. In closing with the church of Laodicea, John wrote these words of Jesus. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here's the hope that Jesus then wrote after that. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, listen to this church, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat with my father on his throne. Guys, there there are eternal rewards for overcoming this world. There is an eternal gift in heaven for you and I that hold fast to the truth, that keep our eyes focused on the mission of the church to love God and love people. So if you're here this morning and feeling like maybe you've lost a little bit of that mission for yourself, I want to encourage you again to dig your heels in to tie in to to authentic community here at Living Word, to take those next steps, whatever that may look like for you. If that's baptism, if that's getting involved in one of our Bible studies here at Living Word, if that's getting tied into a small group or coming to the the class on Wednesday nights, there's a lot of options to get tied in. I want to encourage you and challenge you to take those next steps. Invite friends, live life together, be the church. As we close here, and um, we 're going to close in a worship song together, just to encourage you in this in this um, subject of of moving forward of, of holding fast i want to encourage each of you again to pray with us this Saturday for our trunk or tree outreach, if you would please pray with us that we for um, kind of divine encounters with people that need hope that 's what I would ask you to pray for again if in volunteering, um, you can sign up online and, and i 've already told you that. pray with us though for this event. If you would stand with me, let's pray together, and then we're going to end in a song of worship and encouragement this morning. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth. I pray that your Holy Spirit this morning has, has, has talked to some hearts that may need to shift how things are being done. God, that maybe feel like they've lost a little bit of their mission in the church. Whatever that may be, God, would you speak to hearts this morning? God, just continue to be with us as we worship and as we go from here. Amen. Church, let's worship together.